we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. You don't got time Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Technically our last show of the week. Depends what you count tomorrow. Tomorrow, it's not really Rock Chalk Sports Talk, but it is me and Adam, which in its own is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, and we're going to be previewing the uh, KU game out of the Granada live tomorrow. We'll ask Brian later if we're allowed to call it Rock Chalk Sports Talk tomorrow. <laughs> He's um, the keeper of that. Yes, he is. And Brian's going to join the show in about 20 minutes from right now. We're out at 5.30 today, pregame coverage of... Westwood won for the NCAA Women's Final Four. Takes place tonight. Your RCST NCAA tournament coverage brought to you by Panky Foundation Repair. What's the key to a strong team? A strong foundation. It's the same for a house. Get your home's foundation inspected today for free with Panky Foundation Repair. You can also receive 10% off if you do have anything wrong. If you mention you heard this on Rock Chalk Sports Talk or on KLWN, give them a call at Panky Foundation Repair at 785-505-0577. Your RCST NCAA tournament coverage also brought to you by CycleZone Power Sports. Big city selection, small town service on bikes, off-road vehicles, and watercraft. Located off Highway 24 in Topeka. Make that fun and exciting purchase you know you've been wanting. Continue the excitement of the road we've had through KU over these last couple weeks. You want that in the spring and summer ahead? Make that purchase with CycleZone Power Sports in Topeka. Kansas takes on Villanova tomorrow. Mentioned we'll be out at the Granada 2.30 to 3.30. That'll be followed by Jayhawk Radio Network coverage 3.30 till tip-off at 5.09, and then they'll carry it from there. We'll have Westwood One coverage after that um, for the Duke-North Carolina game or whatever's left after the postgame show ends for KU and Villanova. Hopefully a long postgame show because hopefully there is a lot of positivity to talk about after the game. When we look at this one for Kansas and Villanova, as we, we kind of further dive deep in, into this um, pregame, there's five keys that I have for this game for KU. The first one is defensive rebounding. Villanova is 74th in the country in offensive rebounding rate. They collect about 31% of their misses, and they're different than like a team like Baylor. Baylor can blitz you on the offensive glass. They might send three guys at it. And if you're able to work the rebound away from them in a timely manner, what happens when you beat the blitz? You can hit them for the home run ball down the field. That's not the case with Villanova. Um, CJ Moore of The Athletic wrote a really good piece kind of previewing the game and, and uh, talking to uh, some coaches and scouts and stuff. And, and one of the things that they compared it to with how Villanova plays um, in terms of getting offensive rebounds, they're like a team who rushes with four guys in football, but is still able to get home. So, um, you know, imagine 
the 49ers from a couple years ago where they had those four good defensive linemen. They're able to put a lot of guys back in pass coverage, and that just makes it a lot tougher on you. That's what Villanova does. They're only going to send one or two guys at the offensive glass and bring everyone back so that they can slow down the tempo, try to limit your transition, but they still are top 75 in the country at collecting 31% of their own misses offensively. And Villanova is 17-0 and this year. When they grab 33%, so about one in every three, of their misses on the offensive glass. They're 13-7 and seven when they do not, which 13-7, still winning record and everything, but obviously those are two very different records there. Now on the flip side, when you look at the importance of that for KU, we've talked about many times this season the importance of getting defensive rebounds. It's not just that getting a defensive rebound signals the end to the other team's possession and signals you fully completing a stop on that end, but that is the best way for KU to get out in transition, which is their most efficient offense, and it's tenfold when you're playing against a team who plays good half-court defense, and you want to avoid that as much as possible. Um, All six of KU's losses have come when the opponent has grabbed 29% or more of their misses. So if Villanova has an average offensive rebounding game, then they would be in the category of one of KU's six losses this year. And all four of the Jayhawks' worst defensive rebounding rate games were losses. So there's a high correlation between KU not getting defensive rebounds and the other team winning it. And in the case of Villanova, they have the ability to do that. And the two reasons, I mean, that's important for multiple reasons. Two reasons specifically with this Villanova team is how often an offensive rebound results in a three because there's such a scramble that um, nobody is, everyone's going for the ball, so nobody's defending their man. So a lot of times, when you get an offensive rebound, that's going to result in somebody, whether because it bounces to him behind the three-point arc, or somebody else grabs it, sees a guy who's wide open behind the three-point arc, and kicks it out to him for a wide open three. They're obviously a, a great three-point shooting team, um, and then also they, when you look at how slow they want to you know, how, how they want to slow everything down, if they take up, I mean, that's just going to be maddening for you if you, you know, force them to a miss after they hold the ball for 25 seconds, or not hold the ball, but they run their offense for 25 seconds and they miss, and then they get a, an offensive rebound. Even if that doesn't result in an immediate wide-open three when they kick it out, they can reset their offense and, and run around for another 25 seconds. Yeah. And that's 50 seconds right there that you just had to defend. A style that, by the way, you're not used to defending in guards that post up. Yeah, it's it's almost like a team who runs triple option in football. It's, it's unique. You're not playing against it all the time. And when they get going, like you said, it's just going to drain the clock if they keep the uh, uh, that going. And so, you know, Villanova doesn't turn the ball over. Villanova plays efficiently. If Villanova's getting offensive rebounds, too, that's even more possessions, even more of a slower pace, as you alluded to, even less chances to get out and run for Kansas, and even less stops for KU. So defensive rebounding, key number one for KU. Key number two, do not foul. And, you know, I mean, I don't know who the officiating crew is. I don't know how tight of a game the officiating crew is going to call. On one hand, it would be a positive for KU if they call a tight game. Because their bench is so exactly, Especially if you're able to get Jermaine Samuels and or Eric Dixon in foul trouble, and then the bigs can even go to work even more for KU. But on the other hand, um, you don't want to be fouling them because they are going to take advantage of it as good as anyone ever. They are shooting 83% from the free throw line this year as a team. That That is incredible. Usually... 
you might have one or two 83% free throw shooters They're on your team. shooting that as a team. That's literally the greatest mark if it ended that way in NCAA history. Yeah. They've been historic there, and, and that's going to be a key. Do not foul them, which is easier said than done because we know they very much like to, you know, uh, pump fake or work around on their pivot foot and they can get you in uncomfortable situations where you end up landing on them or in a weird angle and you end up hitting them and fouling them. The Jayhawks are coming off of a team in Miami that really liked the pump fake Mm -hmm. and you saw in the first half KU bit on that a lot and they didn't bite at all in the second half. Now Villanova is considerably more talented than Miami so that's you know but you just have that match that, that similarity in terms of they both like Pump fakes, and I think a lot of teams like to pump fake against Kansas because they're so aggressive defensively that they're going to bite a lot of the time. Uh, if you can remain patient, that's going to work to your advantage. Um, but yeah, that's that's going to be a, a huge um, thing. Is is if you get in foul trouble, you know, it's not so it, foul trouble is going to matter. Uh, all, but they also foul trouble is going to matter for them too because they have really very little. Um, wiggle room in terms of going to their bench now having said that the um the the was it an injury the the guy that they're missing with the achilles this game yeah justin moore justin moore the, when he he was out against uconn we talked about this the other day mm-hmm. was it an injury or some other reason that he was at for whatever reason he was out against uconn yeah and, i don't know if and, it was a COVID thing or injury they, they were else. lights out against uconn they scored 83 points mm-hmm. and um and uconn not as good as Kansas, but UConn was a five seed. They were not a slouch. They were a legitimate tournament team. Um, so you saw a really good performance in in their one game this year without more. Yeah, like Connecticut's twenty first in Ken Palm. Like that, you know, it's a solid team. Yeah. So you saw you saw a really good performance against a a, a solid, a good team uh, in their one game without more. But it does matter if, if you know. But the you know the, the immediate answer if it is a tightly called game. And both teams get into foul trouble. You could say, "All right, advantage KU if you're getting into foul trouble because they have more dudes to go to." But it may advantage Villanova if it gets to the point where both teams are in the bonus with eight minutes left in the half. Yeah, and how many times have we seen KU miss one and ones? Villanova, you can't count on that. Yeah, it's probably not going to happen. You can actually count on the opposite. Exactly. So do not foul. That's key number two. Key number three: defend the three-point arc. They shoot. Just under 36%, which is a really good number. It's 61st in the country, so it's not, like, hyper elite. Um, They're also top three in the Big East. Like, Providence was actually a better three-point shooting team by percentage than Villanova, but it's not as much the accuracy. It's the pure volume that Villanova takes. They are top 20 in the country in the amount of their shots that come from behind the three-point arc. 46% of their shots, so almost half of their shots, and this includes free throws, almost half of their shots come from behind the arc. Um, Actually, I'm not sure that does include free throws, but nonetheless, basically half their shots come from behind the arc. So, um, you know, what would you rather have? Would you rather shoot 38% on limited attempts or 36% on high attempts? You'd rather take the 36%, meaning they're better than maybe the 61st would indicate. Uh, We know that that has been, you know, whether it was the Villanova game that occurred in in 2018 um, or if it was... You know, other games, the Creighton game, uh, we've seen plenty of games where KU has seen the opponent just go bonkers from three, and that's always a scare when you're playing a team that's probably going to put up 30 or more threes in a game. You just saw it four years ago. Yeah. Um, t- against Yeah, against the same team. So if they if they shoot, if they hit their average, um, if they take 30 shots from three, 
and they hit their average, they're basically canning 11 of them. Um, now, you can have say in that. Sometimes you can defend great, and they just hit a fantastic three, and that happens. But if you can defend really well, especially if you come off and, and defend close to um, – and you start defending close to the uh, foul or close to the half court line, which I think athletically you can do. Uh, if you can have Dewan come out and start defending a guard right near the half court line, that they're going to want to run a lot of minutes off the shot clock anyway. So you just say, all right, do that. And then um, that, that takes more time to get them into their set. And they're less apt to take. Now they can hit guarded threes, they've got great shooters. But if you can get them in a position where they're so guarded, they're so frustrated, they don't, they, you know, they, they, they keep looking for another shot. They keep passing to find a better shot than what they have, um, potentially for some shot clock violations or some heaves with a couple seconds left on the shot clock. That's the ideal scenario is, you know, every three they take or most of the threes they take are guarded. Yeah. But again, that goes back to the, the offensive rebound. If You know, I, I wonder how much of that good – not great, but good uh, three-point shooting percentage comes from um, getting really good looks off offensive boards. That's a good question. I think the other case that they really uh, stress you there, A, they just have good you know drivers who can control their dribble, and when you're getting into the paint, that's going to lead to yep. uh, driving kick opportunities. Yeah, you're, not gonna, you're not going to draw a lot of charges on this team. No, no, they're very smart. They play off two feet. They pivot around. They, they pump fake. Um, they're also going to, like part of the worry about, you know, having their guards back you down in the post or, or posting you up, it's not always just because their guards are going to like go to work and, and try to score the basketball in the post. A lot of what they do with their guards backing you down in the post is to try to set up something else because if um you know Colin Gillespie or uh one of these other players you know backs you down in the post and you're in a disadvantageous situation and, and Dewan Harris or Remy Martin is getting you know kind of bullied down there because they're not as big then all of a sudden you're going to have to send a double over and if you send the double over then all of a sudden the guy's open and you have a point guard who is obviously going to be good at passing out of a double, finding the open man from three. And finding the most efficient place to shoot a three, which is um, a corner. You, you get, I mean, how many times uh, are you, you know, do you see, there's a reason that so many teams design offenses to get corner threes because it's the closest, more so in the NBA, but it's it's now since they've expanded or since they've uh, since they've brought the uh, point guard, at, or the point guard, the three-point line out more and more in college basketball, um, this has become more true. It's like I said, it's especially true in the NBA. Corner three is one of the most efficient shots you can possibly take because it's the highest percentage of the threes. And as they've moved the uh, the three point arc out in college basketball, that's become more true as well. And that's in you know in that level. So you know when you get drives, not only are you getting um, kicks at kickouts, you're getting a lot of times kickouts to the corner. Uh, which is super, super dangerous. And, again, the other thing you're running into is if a guy has to close out quick on a three and he jumps up out of control to try to defend a three, you have a higher risk of fouling. I mean, we saw that both ways. Was it Brown that got fouled on a three against Miami? Yes, so, I think I mean, it was. We've mm -hmm. seen that. We've seen that, and we've seen KU over the course of the season do that too, where you, you know, you're, caught, you're caught trying to help down low, and so when they kick it out to what's supposed to be your man, you have to 
you have to run out there and you kind of hop toward them with your arm out and you risk hitting their wrist, which is a foul. You have to let them land, even if they've already let go of the ball. You have to let you have to give them a circle to land. If not, you, that's a foul. So if you you know charging too hard on try, trying to close out after you've been sucked into help also risks a foul. Yeah, it does. So that is uh, number three, I think it was um, defending the three point arc, getting hands out there, contesting. All right, uh, key number four, big game. For Big Dave. And honestly, we could probably swallow this up and say just big game from the posts because we know Dave and Mitch are pretty much going to play, I don't know, if not 40 minutes, maybe it'll be 35 and maybe there'll be a few minutes given to KJ or Zach Clements. Like you saw 30 seconds of KJ last game. Um, but big realistically, 30 seconds. It was a big 30 seconds. So maybe you'll see that, you know, at the end of a half or something like that or a few minutes here. But realistically, 35 to 40 of the minutes are going to come from combined David McCormick and Mitch Lightfoot in this game. You need big games from both of those guys, um, both in terms of rebounding, in terms of maybe playing above your weight class and defending a not actual weight class, but in terms of playing above where your level is in, in defending in space because Villanova is going to test that. And also, when you're on offense, you have to be – a good threat for KU down low. As far as the rebounding, Villanova is just 208th in the country in defensive rebounding rate. Villanova is just 109th in the country in two-point defense. But they are elite in preventing teams from firing off threes. They are elite at preventing teams from hitting threes because they don't give up as many and they give up uh, contested looks when they do give them up a lot of the times. So you're going to have to score some way without the three-point line maybe as much and David McCormick or Mitch Lightfoot, who's ever in there, is going to be a big key. Villanova does not really front the post. They play behind you, and they kind of play. They say, if you're just going to beat us, beat us. We're going to make it a contested shot. We're going to make you work for it. We're not going to front the post and give up an easy basket. So basically, you're going to have to hit hook shots. You're not going to yeah. get easy layups where you slip behind the defense or get an easy dunk. You're going to have to hit hook shots. And in the case of Mitch Lightfoot, he's been as efficient as anyone in the country at doing that. I think he's shooting 66% on uh, his right-handed hook shot so far this season. He has been unbelievable at doing that. Dave has been very hit or miss. We've seen games where he's just on fire and he can't miss. We've seen games where he can't make anything uh, as far as the hook shots go. He should have an opportunity on the offensive glass regardless, though, of how he's shooting. Um, so you need a big game from Dave and, and Mitch Lightfoot. The trouble, the other trouble with Dave, and Jay, that could be also big for Jalen with uh, Villanova on the defensive re rebounding rate. Um, Jalen coming in to get a, get some offensive boards as well. Um, but the uh, the thing about Dave that kind of scares me is a lot of his troubles come against when he's being guarded by smaller dudes. He brings the ball down and it gets mm -hmm. swatted away, so that's kind of scary. Uh, but again, if he's shooting against a smaller guy, theoretically he would have a better chance to hit that hook shot, theoretically. Um, the other thing that tells me, I don't know this, I haven't watched a ton of Villanova, but what that kind of tells me is they don't help. If they're not giving up a lot of easy threes, that probably means they're not coming in to help very much, um, which could be a good sign that you uh, could be in a, in a position that your, your uh, lead guards could drive. Yeah, because so you're not going to have you know if he can beat his first guy right. on the bounce. If Remy, for example, can beat his first guy off the bounce and get right by him, they don't look like a team that help. Their stats don't don't suggest a team that comes in and helps very that crashes and helps very much. Right. So uh, yeah, that's going to be very important. So that's point number four. Point number five: 
Run, run, run. And and I don't know how often KU is going to even have the opportunity to get out and run in transition. Like I said, Villanova is going to want to play at a slow pace. They're going to bring guys back and, and not overly crash the offensive glass. They are going to make it hard for KU to speed up the tempo. But when you get those opportunities, when you get those chances, you have to take advantage of them if you're Kansas. You have to get out and run as much as possible. Yeah, if you can get a four, every time you get out of a three on two, a four on two, a three on one, every time you get a situation like that, you have to score on it. All right, uh, that is our fifth and final point there. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney is going to join us next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN and KLWN.com. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Half past the hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson, joined now by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, down in New Orleans. And uh, Jayhawk Radio Network coverage will start in 24 hours from right now, coming up tomorrow. Uh, Brian, how, how would you compare so far the, the scene around the Final Four, comparing and contrasting this year here in New Orleans to 2018 in uh, San Antonio? Well, first off, I just realized as you were calling me up that I owe an apology to Adam Trevetta, who texted me a let's go with like six <laughs> O's on the end of go and like seven exclamation points on the end of it. He, he left out, you know, Tom Brady's F in the middle of LFG. But yes, let's freaking go. I, uh, Adam, I'm sorry I missed your text. No, There's that's a ton of text rolling in on Sunday. And, that's that's and I think all good. It still applies today, though, right? Oh, absolutely. I was on my way. I watched the game in Gardner, uh, and then I was on my way to party on Mass Street. Um, let's say I was stopped at a stop sign when I sent that text to you. But I, uh, yeah, I was going back and forth. I got. I have to know somebody pretty well before I'll put uh, the full that that particular middle word in there. Um, but it, it crossed my mind. Yeah, I no, think no, I actually. We, we were, I think I sent the full uh, that that particular middle word when I texted uh, Derek that day, though. I bet you did, and we were thinking that and feeling that. I'm sorry I didn't respond. I was no, it's all good. Text and we were racing to the bus. But back to your original question. Now that I've you know apologized for my tardiness <laughs> on the text reply, did, did you ask the the feel uh, 2022 compared to 2018 Kansas and Nova? Was that the question? Yeah, is it different at all? Um, is it you know? Do you like New Orleans better than San Antonio? Is it about the same? Well, from a matchup standpoint, it's apples and oranges. From a venue standpoint. Uh, I actually like New Orleans a little bit better, which will sound sacrilegious to some Kansas fans because we won in 2008 in San Antonio and everybody loves the Riverwalk and all that. But to me, to start off on the venue, there is no city where the Friday night before action gets underway is a better host than New Orleans because when four fan bases converge on Bourbon Street the night before it all tips off, when everybody's still alive, they're drunk on optimism and some other stuff. 
It is one big, crazy party, and it's amazing. And before smartphones were invented, and I'm going to sound like the old guy on the show because I guess I am now, but back in 2003, we did KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk from down there, and you didn't have iPhones and stuff that were snapping pictures of coaches. And so the NABC has their coaches convention the same weekend as the Final Four. And I won't name names or say, you know, what names rhyme with who or whatever, but you saw the who's who of college basketball coaches out there with, you know, a, a schooner or a huge, you know, a daiquiri type drink with, with, you know, all kinds of female friends hanging around and you know, most of which were wives, but maybe not. Point is, crazy parties. And nowadays with smartphones, these coaches barely go out at all because you don't want to be, you know, seen with, you know, too much fun being had on Bourbon Street. But my point is, when all four fan bases get together, it is such a great party in New Orleans. And you can do it in other cities, but, you know, Atlanta and some of these other places that have hosted in recent years are nowhere close to what it's like in San Antonio and New Orleans. And for my money, I actually like New Orleans a little bit more. Now, Bourbon Street in general, you know, on a non-Final Four or non-Mardi Gras setting, it's, it's not the best. It smells of, of all kinds of things you can imagine. Horse manure probably being the, the most prominent smell. But uh, when you get those four fan bases on that Friday night, which is probably about three hours away from really getting rowdy over there, it's so stinking cool. And, and it's not that there's a ton of trash talk going on. Maybe tonight there will be with Carolina and Duke both down there. But it's, it's just a jovial we're all still alive. We're having the time of our lives in this tournament-type feeling. And then when you show up the next night and two teams are going home, while you still have the buzz of the teams that are celebrating wins and all that, it's not nearly the same because there's a lot of teams that, that are a lot of fans that are drowning their sorrows or packing up their bags. And so for my money, this is the best celebratory night of the tournament when it's being hosted in New Orleans. Now, Back to 2018 versus 2022 from a matchup and a, and a Kansas Villanova standpoint, I said it's apples and oranges. The firepower was so much different in, in 2018 from Villanova. When you talk about Brunson and Bridges and Booth and Pascal and Spellman and all these guys they could run at you, even Chenzo, it, it was an unreal roster that, as you recall, Derek and Adam, it, it was 22 to 4 quicker than you could say Rock Chalk. And I'll tell you a funny story I told earlier this week, and, and hopefully I'm not saying it too much. I'm going to get in trouble with scalping tickets. But I tell you guys this story that David Lawrence wanted me to find a ticket for his lovely wife, Linda. And as you know, David has to do the Crimson and Blue show, which mm-hmm. runs an hour and a half before, and then the Jayhawk locker room show, which runs an hour and a half after the game. So he couldn't get out on the street once the game was done to find a ticket for his lovely bride. And I sign off 30 minutes after, and then I'm, you know, footloose and fancy free at that point. <laughs> so being a good teammate, I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll go take care of the ticket for you. And so he gives me 500 bucks cash, which I've got in my, my jacket pocket. And, and he says, as soon as we win, you know, go out there and get Linda a ticket. Well, as you recall, game starts. Three-pointer Brunson, three-pointer Booth, three-pointer Pascal, three-pointer Spellman. Boom, 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 boom. 22-4 to four like that. And we go to the under-16 media timeout, and I look at him, and I wad up that $500 cash in a ball, and I throw it at him and say, this has bad voodoo on it. Get it out of my jacket. This is bad. This is, we jinxed it. This is horrible. And, and if you were watching on the sideline, you probably thought I was making it rain. But I was throwing his money at him because I was like, we've cursed it now. And so 
my point in telling you that is, hey, Villanova is still very capable, but it's going to look very different because even before the Moore injury, you know, this was a team that didn't have the firepower of 2018. Ryan Fan, their play-by-play voice, just told me a second ago before you guys called that he thinks 2018 was their best team in 102 years of Villanova basketball. This team is not, nor is it Kansas's best. It's probably not Bill Self's top eight most talented teams, but they are – more talented and deeper than Villanova, and I really hope they can capitalize on the shorthanded nature of this Nova team tomorrow night. Villanova will do all they can to, to muck it up and slow it down and play in a half-court set. They'll try to take away our transition opportunities, certainly. And they've got a capable club that can still beat us even without Justin Moore, no doubt. But it is, when you ask the comparison, what's the feel, 18 versus 22, much, much, much different Villanova team. And, and hopefully Kansas is, is in great position to pounce because of it. Um, did you happen to um, – were you, were you there either – I know this is before you were calling for the team, but were you there in either 08 or 03? Yeah, I was there for both of them. So I I'm, really was. I'm curious, the, the one big difference, and this would be the same as it was in 12 and in 18 – um, but one huge difference between then and now is now at the Final Four, it's the elevated court with the thing right in the center of everything. Uh, back in 08 and in 03, it would have been a setup where you were in a football dome, but they kind of cut off half of it, and the court was running perpendicular to what would have been the football field. Um, does the whole visual, like, how crazy is that visual? Because I've never been... I've I've been to the Edward Jones Dome or whatever it's called now in St. Louis, but that was still back when they cut it in half. I've yeah. I've never seen the visual of, wh- of where they've got the court right in the middle of a football dome. Is that a huge? I mean, visually from from your standpoint, how big of a difference is that? You know, I, I've never attempted a shot, so I couldn't tell you you know what it looks like uh, you know when you're actually on the elevated floor and and the rows behind go way, way, way back. And, and the rows on the sidelines go way, way, way out, you know, to, to fully put it in the middle of, of the Superdome. And so it's, uh, it's interesting because there's definitely a depth perception adjustment that, that bothers some guys and is difficult to be made by some. But keep in mind, you know, Kansas has been here since Wednesday, uh, and they will have had numerous practices to get used to that. And, and yeah, it's different in the game day setting, certainly. But, but I think, you know, once you've had multiple days, it's not quite the factor that, that it is the first time you're shooting on it. But it's, it's definitely different for sure. And I was there uh, in 2012 when it was in New Orleans last, and my media seat was literally like 40 rows back behind the basket. And you just find yourself watching the game on the video board anyway. So for any Jayhawk fan that's bummed that they didn't spend the money to you know, get the ticket or the $1,000 hotel room or the $1,500 flight to come down here. If you were here, you probably would wind up watching the game on the video board anyway, and you would just be able to say you were in the house. So it's fun to be down here, don't get me wrong, but when you're in the football stadium set up like that, unless you've got really, really big boy seats, as Greg Gurley likes to call them, uh, you're probably watching it on the screen anyway because it's just really hard. You're so far removed from the court. So the moral of the story is wait till you have David Booth money to go down as a fan, right? <laughs> I, I guess, yeah. That's a longer wait than, than most for, <laughs> for those of us waiting on that. Never for me. Uh, so my biggest worry for, for the game 
involves Villanova's five men, Jermaine Samuels, Eric Dixon, Dixon in, in the case of being able to stretch it, Jermaine Samuels in the case of a little similar maybe to Jeremy Sohan at, at Baylor, how he's kind of, when they had him playing in the five in, in Waco, how he has the ability to kind of drive in on the lane um, at the five, but he can shoot it a little bit too. Um, also, you know, Villanova getting hot from three when they take that many is, of course, always going to be of interest. But um, on the flip side, I think KU has the advantage down low while Villanova has the advantage. It, it feels like both teams kind of have the advantage at that five spot. Um, what do you view to be the biggest hurdle for KU on, playing on Monday night? And what do you view to be KU's biggest advantage tomorrow against Villanova? Well, those are great observations, Derek. On, on Dixon, he's hit 17 of 33 threes this year, 52%. It kind of reminds you of Amari Spellman, and I was going to make that point on the broadcast. Uh, Samuels, yeah, he's been a different player in the tournament. I mean, his, his season averages are 11 and 6, but in the tournament, he's averaged 18 and 9 on 63% shooting. He was the South Regional MVP. Uh, he is absolutely a force to be reckoned with and a grad senior like Gillespie the two-time you know reigning Big East player of the year he's a third-team All-American as Gillespie and yet I don't know that he's truly healthy right now after the awkward spill he took in the Michigan game that knee to me looks like it's still bothering him a little bit so we'll see you know if if he's the guy that everybody's talking about that can back you down in some of those one-on-one guard post-up matchups if that's going to be a concern or not in talking with their people you know it sounds like Caleb Daniels sliding into Justin Moore's role is the guy you really want to focus on we'd heard some hype early in the week that maybe Brian Antoine a former five-star guy would do a lot of heavy lifting off the bench in the absence of more. In talking more with you know, Ryan Fan and their play-by-play voice, he, he thinks that that might be overblown. But we'll see. Either way, they're probably only going to play six guys. And so I, I really hope Kansas can wear them down. I hope we're able to get out and run. I know they'll do whatever they can to slow it down and take those opportunities away. But to me, if Kansas can impose its will on them, play an up-tempo game, wear them down, get them gassed. You watch that second half versus Miami when we outscored them 47-15, to and the reason why they only scored 15 was how many of their misses were short. They had no legs. They were absolutely gassed halfway through that second half, and it was just an avalanche just snowballing on them at that point. And so I hope Kansas can wear them down. But if you play this game in a half-court set, to your point about the Samuels comparison with the Baylor star freshman or, or some of the other points you made about Dixon being able to stretch it, yeah, I mean, there, there's some scary aspects of this team. But, but my hope is that a deeper, more talented Kansas team can, can play from out in front, impose its will, and hopefully not be in a, a late-game scenario where we get into a free-throw shooting contest against arguably the greatest free-throw shooting team we've ever seen or, you know, get into a physical half-court set, one-possession game where they seem to excel so much. So that's my hope for these Jayhawks, and, and hopefully we'll see that come to fruition. Well, if all goes well for KU, and, and they are you know successful in this weekend and, and Monday night, and Ochai goes and, and wins Final Four MOP, I mean, we're obviously at that point, I know Bill Self kind of talked about this, talking about one of the greatest individual seasons in KU history. Uh, me and Adam yesterday kind of off-air uh, started talking about you know, what the impact of the legacy of, of that would be. Because if you 
ask, you know, what's your who's your top five all-time Jayhawks? Or who's your top ten? Obviously, it's going to be different based on how you evaluate that. Do you evaluate what you accomplished at KU? Do you evaluate, you know, the greatest player? Because if you're what's accomplished, Danny Manning's the greatest. If it's the greatest player, it's it's probably Wilt Chamberlain. But no matter what, there there's so many guys that you could list for that top five, top ten. And if if they are able to get this thing done and Ochai does win Final Four MOP, um, he's certainly in both of those conversations, which is quite something. It's crazy to think about because you know his legacy after three seasons at Kansas was a nice Big Twelve honorable mention type guy, a second team type guy. You know that was a good auxiliary complementary player, but he wasn't the alpha that was you know team MVP and you know the player to be reckoned with and all that. And and now he's come back and, and done things that that not many could have ever dreamed. Somebody asked me that question earlier today, and I I still would put him somewhere on the second or third team, uh, you know, all Kansas all time team. He wouldn't be in my starting five, but in terms of single season accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, it's it would be a top three individual season ever if he added a national championship and a Final Four MOP. The thing that, that may cost him National Player of the Year is the fact that he went in a three-and-a-half-week shooting slump that would be akin to a Heisman Trophy quarterback candidate having three bad November games in a row in terms of incompletions, interceptions, and all that. And and that, to me, I think probably tilts the scales to Oscar Sheboy and will keep him from winning that. But consensus first-team All-American, uh, potential national champion, potential Final Four most outstanding player, Man, that, I mean that 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 rivals you know anything this side of Manning, and obviously Wilts had season numbers that no one will ever top. But they lost in triple overtime to North Carolina and didn't win the title. So he's got a chance to do something that even Wilt didn't do, and that's where, in terms of individual season prowess, he could vault into that conversation. I still wouldn't put him on the first team all time KU team, but he now has to be tossed about in those second and third team conversations and very justifiably so and couldn't be happier for him as it couldn't happen to a better kid but by that same token as you guys well know anybody who wins mop of a final four goes up in the rafters that could be remy martin that could be the much maligned and and fan criticized david mccormick I mean, there's a number of guys that just turned out great. Yeah, me and Adam said that Mitch Lightfoot might be one of the most fun if that that were to happen. (laughs) Can you imagine? I mean... He, he he had an all-tournament team type showing, you know, in Kansas City those first two games before he got hurt in game three. It would take a lot for him to be a Final Four MOP. But, yeah, that's one of the criteria. And very realistically, a, a Remy or a Jalen Wilson or a David McCormick could do that, which none of the three a month ago would you think would ever have their name or number you know, hanging next to Wilt and Clyde Lavelle, who Clyde, by the way, is the name we haven't mentioned that mm-hmm. needs to be in the top three greatest seasons of all time. National champion, led the nation in scoring, then goes to the Olympics and wins. I mean, that, that'll that never be done again. So, I mean, it's not just Danny Manning. It's Clyde Lavelle and then Will. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy to think what's there for the taking, not just from a team perspective, but also individual legacy these next 72 hours. 
He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. You can hear him tomorrow on the call here on KLWN via the Jayhawk Radio Network and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Brian, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Brian, one last thing. What's a bigger pregame seafood fest, New Orleans tonight or the Bob Huggins Charity Fish Fry? <laughs> wow, that's a great question. You know, by the time we got to the fish fry, it was the bone pile picked over and there's not much <laughs> left. After a thousand mountaineer patrons with their moonshine and fried fish, <laughs> moonshine had, had had the pick of the litter. But that was a fun night. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, we've had some really good fried shrimp down here, and uh, David Lawrence is, is trying to make plans tonight for a third consecutive night at a seafood place. We'll see if he gets his wish. But, uh, but yeah, the, the Gulf Shore fried shrimp is pretty stinking good down here. and We've enjoyed some of the best of it these first two nights. Well, Brian, thank you for the time as always, man, and uh, hopefully we're rock chalking up another one tomorrow. Gosh, I hope so, guys. It's amazing to think that of all the Bill Self teams that had a chance to win a national title, this might be the one to do it. We are so close, and we may never get an opportunity this good again where you're the one seed that nobody's talking about. Your competition is down their second-best player. And, and who knows, they may be playing an eight seed on Monday night if things broke the right way. It's, it's been an amazing path of being both lucky and good. Let's see if we can keep being both these next two games. Here's Brian Haney. Uh, real quick word from Nate Miller. That's right. Uh, just as the Jayhawks have their game plan to uh, take down Villanova, you need a game plan for your financial future, and the Miller Retirement Group is here to help you out. Check out my buddy Nate Miller and his team at MillerRetirementGroup.com. They'll help you build your portfolio for your best, most fruitful financial future, and he's a diehard Jayhawk as well. So check him out today, MillerRetirementGroup.com. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, Brian. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. All right, that was Brian Haney. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. We're going to be out live at the Granada, um, 2.30 to 3.30. Kiss Crew will be there 1 to 3 o'clock tomorrow. And uh, they'll be giving away all sorts of stuff. They have some T-shirts to give away, concert tickets. The first 100 people, thanks to T-Mobile, is going to be having their first beverage on uh, on T-Mobile. So come on out early for 105.9 Kiss at 1. Stick around for us, 2.30 to 3.30, before the Jayhawk Radio Network takes over. There are a bunch of watch parties. I don't know how many of the tables are filled up, probably most of them, but you can still check out Abe and Jake's, um, Lucia, Rick's place tomorrow is going to be first come, first serve. And then the Granada, both inside and outside. Inside, doors open at 2 $5 cover charge. You can email mary at thegranada.com to reserve tables. The Granada Outdoor, they're going to have huge Jumbotron, concert PA. That's where we're going to be for our, our remote, I believe. Um, okay, uh, daily poll for today, real quick, before we take a break here. What's worse, the KU Final Four scissors shirts, which... Uh, looks like a the smiley faces are it's weird yeah it's very weird i don't know who decided that would be a good final four shirt or do you remember the uh adidas zubaz uniforms from 2013 yeah that was um yes i do it was and i'm i'm grateful that ku never had to play in their blues because they were in their whites all march uh sadly obviously the the run ended in uh against the four seed in the sweet 16 but uh, the the they kind of had the weird stripies on the whites, but they were kind of a light gray, and you couldn't quite tell. Those blues were hideous. 
I said that the the smiling scissors on these Final Four or the, the Midwest Regional Champion shirts to me looked like um, a shirt they would give out at like a children's craft, like a summer craft yes. camp that kids go to. That looks like something they'd give out there. Dude, those are the worst. It's like you could have literally just wrote on a blank T-shirt, KU Final Four, people would have bought them. I'm sure there's still some people buying the scissors ones. I can't imagine. Very, if I was a local like retailer who sold this stuff, um, I would be very angry because I would imagine your Final Four shirt sales are going to be down from where they were in past years. Those are terrible. I think those are worse than the Zubaz uniforms. They're both pretty bad. I'm thankful that, I mean, look, it's hard to get mad at either because they never wore the blue Zubaz uniforms. Now, to be clear, they were Adidas. Zubaz is a different company, blah, blah, blah. Don't want to get sued. Uh, but um, it, you were happy, at least, when they were wearing the Midwest Regional Scissor ones because they were winning. Yeah. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, one and a half to go. This is RCST. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Four o'clock hour here out early at 530 today on RCST. A um, couple notes, Tommy Lloyd winning coach of the year, which not a huge, I, I thought Kelvin Sampson should have won it. I think if the voting was done after Houston beat Arizona, he probably wins it. But That's even point. you lose two of your best players, you still end up making the Elite Eight. That, it was a remarkable season. Nonetheless, uh, the bigger news of note here locally, Oscar Shibwe winning National Player of the Year from the AP. There's still, I think it's like six or seven. Off the top of my head, I know the AP wooden Naismith. I'm Maybe trying, it's four. I'm trying to think of which one because the 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 there's the NABC. I want to say yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the NABC. That that's the basketball coaches. And mm. does the USBWA have one? Basketball Writers Association. Have okay, one? here are the main ones. The main ones that are you know like CBS Sports. I'm sure gives out yeah, their yeah, player sporty, here, yeah, but that's yeah, yeah. not like considered Bleacher one of Report. the main ones, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's the Naismith, the Associated Press, John Wooden, Oscar Robertson, NABC, and Sporting News. So um, six six main ones. Like that's the, what was crazy about uh, the 2016, all, 17. Frank Mason swept the awards. And I'm, I don't know the the uh, the Hall of Fame, the College Basketball Hall of Fame in Kansas City um, puts at least they did for the longest time. I know when Frank Mason won it, they did, and I think they have since. They put up over the course the entire next year an image of the winner of yeah. one of those awards. I don't know which. But know. if one of those awards adorns the... It's probably the Naismith or the Wooden. That's a tip. The Naismith Trophy's the big... I consider that the biggest. I, maybe they still have people. yet to give out the Naismith, the Wooden, and... I, and he's... Uh, Ochai's and, a finalist for both of those. Yes. The Oscar Robertson's the, the uh, to be, be I know the, the list to be considered a consensus first-team All-American is a list of four. Mm-hmm. That's AP, U.S. Uh, Basketball Writers Association, NABC, and Sporting News. So that list is that exact same group plus the Oscar Robertson trophy mm-hmm. and one other I thought I heard. Yeah, Wooden and the Naismith. Yeah, Wooden was the one right. I Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Naismith. Okay. So, yeah, so we'll see. I, I hope what happens is, like, because obviously Shibway winning, he's won three of the ones that have come out so far. Um, I remember back to, uh, I, I don't know if this happens every year. What all is Shibway won? He won the uh, AP, AP uh, NABC, and uh, Sporting News. I um, missed those. Okay. 
I think I think Sheboy's going consent. I think he's winning. I think he probably is too. He's I, been amazing. I hope what happens is that I I remember back in uh, 2006. It was the 0506 season. Texas JJ Reddick. No, this and, is uh, no, this is football. This is football. Oh, okay. Um, Reggie Bush ends up winning the Heisman, and Vince Young ends up finishing second. But if that's what you want to talk about, should they vote after the postseason? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not just that. Like if you if you go back and watch like videos, interviews with with the Texas players. They all thought that Vince Young was winning the Heisman. Vince Young thought he was winning the Heisman going into the award show. Really? And I mean, if you if you see over the course of this season, the way that Ochai Baji's teammates, Ochai's too humble to, to mention it. But they they have mentioned many times this season he's our national player Chris, of the year. Christian he Brown, win it. Christian yes. Brown could be chapped right now. Yes. So and and, and that they mentioned Texas going into that USC game, there was a big chip on their shoulder from the offense specifically of we need to showcase Vince Young this game. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's not above the game. It shouldn't be, hey, we need yeah, to get Ochai 25 points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it very much, I think, becomes a, hey, bleep you, we can play with an extra chip on our shoulder. Exactly. And that's a good could, thing. That's could a good be, thing. I agree completely. It could be a, hey, bleep you, mm-hmm. you didn't make it out of the first, you lost to a 15 seed and we're paying in a banner. Yes. Uh, not just a small banner, but a big, big banner at the end, you know, behind uh, behind one of the baskets, those banners. Yes. It, it, that could be the attitude. Yeah. So I, I hope that's what ends up happening out of this. I, I agree with you, Shibway. Very deserving. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. If, but if I, you're going to use it as motivation, do yeah, it. Yeah, I I don't have a vote. Um, I you know it'd be kind of cool. Hint hint. If, if someday, <laughs> I honestly mean it would it would yeah. be, and I would take it very seriously. If I ever had a vote in that or one of the polls, I would be truly honored. Um, which I think anybody who works in this business who loves a given sport would love to have a vote in in, in programs like that. But I'll just say, if I had a vote, Sheboy was get it, would would get it for me. He was incredible this year. Now, Ochai was incredible, too. It's nothing against Ochai. It's just how highly I think of the season Oscar Sheboy had. But I agree. If um, if the players won, and even if Ochai, as humble as he is outwardly, mm-hmm. if if he um, if he wants to use that and fire himself up, I mean, he's already a hyper-motivated kid. Um, you know, we, we learned from that C.J. Moore story how hard he worked with, with uh, Damian Lillard in the offseason, you know. He's a super, super motivated kid. If he wants to use this for extra motivation, and if his teammates want to use this for extra motivation, do it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, so we, we've talked a lot about um, this Villanova-Kansas game. Um, I I don't know if we've left any really stone unturned um, so far. I do want to talk a little about the North Carolina and Duke game, but... I, I do have a fun little hypothetical. What's the storyline of that game, though? I don't know. There's not much. I, I do have a fun hypothetical, though, w- with KU. If you could change the result of either the 2016 game. Oh, the, yeah, you, you asked me this yesterday. Yeah, the 2018 game. Or, option three, you could guarantee a win on Saturday. Which would you go with? Oh, that's a tough one. I would go... It's so easy to say guarantee a win on Saturday. Probably, it is. probably this that. is what's right now in front. Yeah, of you. probably guarantee a win on Saturday. I will say if you if you take the win in eighteen, if you take the win in sixteen, you could say that sixteen team was a better team than um, than the eighteen team, and they, but they would have had two to win two more to win a national title, um, and they would have been playing Buddy. Too. They would have yeah. playing Buddy Heald, and then they would if they won that they would have played for North time. Carolina. Yeah. in the national title. Uh, whereas in 18, if you reverse the uh, outcome of that game, 
um, you'd be a one playing a four, and then I, and, and you would Michigan was a be three, a three. You'd yeah. be a that's right. Um, you'd be um, you'd be uh, you know, playing a, a three seed, not a four, but a three, and you'd already be in the national title game. Whereas if you reverse the elite eight matchup in sixteen, you'd have two more games to win. I will go sit now. Yesterday, you only gave me the I did sixteen or eighteen, mm-hmm. but since you've added this one, I would take the guaranteed win tomorrow night. I agree. I would take the guarantee tomorrow. Um, it's impossible to have fake memories in your head of what the celebration would have been like. So that does apply. Um, but also, you know, I I don't know. I, I just think there's something about it this year. I, I do think if I took out this year, and it was the original question that I asked you yesterday off air about which would you take between those two, I would actually lean 16. So I, I get it. Like 18 at that point, you would only be one win away from a title, like you said, and you'd have to win two more games at Oklahoma and North Carolina, which are tough. I don't know if you, even though Michigan was a three seed that year, um, Michigan had actually ended up seventh in Ken Palm. Kansas ended ninth. Yeah, that was that. So it wasn't that like a Michigan guarantee team, that you'd win it. I'm trying to think though. And, didn't that Michigan team have to in their region at least? Because somebody compared uh, somebody compared Michigan uh, going into the title game. They compared Michigan. Yes, to, if you remember to, to somebody who played. I'm not familiar with that. I don't play video games, but that Fortnite game, or I guess a, okay. the, the Fortnite game is every man for himself kind of thing. Uh-huh. I'm and excited I get, for this super hip reference. I guess some yeah. people have a strategy where they'll just hide in the bushes and let everybody kill each other. Yeah, okay. And then they'll just kind of wait and you know get themselves so in I the top three. I haven't heard this comparison, but, but like it somebody makes sense. compared Michigan yeah. to that because I guess didn't they play a seven? So this is what or, they did. They, this they, what they, they played did. like a seven or ten in the Sweet Sixteen, didn't they? So they they this was the Michigan team that if you remember they played Houston in the second round. And Jordan Poole, with Michigan down two, hits a crazy, like, super long three, fading to the right three, a buzzer beater that wins it by one. That was after Houston missed, like, three free throws or something that even allowed that to happen. Yep. Crazy shot. So that gets them to the Sweet 16. They beat a seven-seed Texas A&M in the Sweet 16. Then they beat a, uh, oh, gosh, what was Florida State that year? Florida State might have been, like, a nine-seed in the Elite Eight. Yeah, because they were because Florida State beat that Missouri team yes. with uh, with the Porters. So they were an eight or nine, and then they beat eleven seed Loyola, Loyola Chicago, Chicago in the final four. But again, but look, they beat you don't. It's same as Kansas not having to apologize. If you get to the Elite Eight, yeah. you get to the Final Four. You've beaten yeah. good teams. And again, they were ranked higher than KU on Ken Palm yeah, that and year. So and, and the one thing Michigan that, was not a bad team. No, yeah, that, that Michigan team did well. And I remember this was a huge conversation going into the title game with Villanova. They were like, "Wow, do we give them a chance?" Was that Michigan team? was actually very analytically driven in that they said, you know what the best way to defend the three-point arc is? It's to not let you shoot them because once they're in the air, we have no control on whether they go in or not. Which was kind of KU's strategy against Miami on Sunday in the second half. And they were sixth in the country in least three-point attempts against them. So that would have probably not been great against KU. I would have taken the 16 team because I just think – a, you give Frank Mason a Final Four, guaranteed at that point, which would have been cool. Yeah. Um, you give Devontae Graham a second Final Four at that situation. And you also, I, I just think that was like a really, really good team that they would have had a real shot at winning a title, even though at that point you'd be one away. But um, either way, I do want to talk about, like I said, the North Carolina-Duke game. By the way, remember last year on this very day, we haven't done a- any April Fool's jokes. Uh, I did one earlier on the That's true, you did on the sports, the sports update. update. Um, Hilarious. Bill Self is opening a uh, gumbo opening shop. a gumbo stand down in New Orleans. Um, Hey, if he wins it all, he can do whatever he wants. No, um, that, no. One thing I wanted to say uh, about that Michigan team that was Beeline 
piece him yes. out. He took a beeline for Cleveland. Yes, after he did. That, after that, that year. did not work out. I'm surprised he hasn't re-entered the college game. Nonetheless, uh, last year on this very day, Roy Williams announced his retirement, and it was very much out of the loop, very, very different <laughs> yeah. for the Coach K one. And also, I would just like to say this: there should not be like real news that it occurs on this day because you don't know what's real and what's fake. Well, they they were doing the World Cup announcement yeah. um which earlier. that's easy to know it's real because you can watch the live watch, stream yeah, and FIFA stuff although could you imagine it. if they were like this was just a mock run of it with for april FIFA, Fool's man, Day? anything that's true i mean anything it's, yeah you it's could FIFA. like somebody could slip them Tw- like twelve hundred people died building the stadium yeah. in qatar and they're still like yeah dude we're totally playing that. yeah um it's fifa but they like they're probably gonna kill me for having said that right now. That was so weird that he retired on April. 4th. It was like okay, is somebody joking about this? What happened? And then it ended up you see the press conference and it ends up happening. How funny would it be though? Going back to that because Roy Williams didn't get the retirement tour. He didn't want the retirement no. tour. Coach K. He hasn't been exactly a hermit this last. No, year, he hasn't. Though. But you're right. But he that's didn't, just a retired man wanting to yeah, do yeah, fun yeah. things. He right? didn't get the. Let's go half screen at the end of Kansas, Texas. Yes. To watch him walk through a tunnel. Yes. He didn't get that. And so um, you have Coach K, which is the complete opposite. Now, if you ask Coach K, he'll tell you, I never wanted the attention. I don't like that I get all these people stopping me, taking pictures and stuff. Well, then why'd you announce the damn tour yeah, he, before the season he knew, started, he right? Knew he, was he knew what he He's was getting into. How he agreed. funny. He could have said no. If they said, hey, we want to do a massive party for you at the last game at Cameron in a big speech. And he that's have, it. He could, no, But he could have said no to oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He could have said, he could no, have said I don't no want at any that. Time. He could have said no at any time. How funny would it be if we end up getting a title instead of this being the du- the Duke week-long parade, whatever, and the Coach K retirement party? How funny would it be if we get a Kansas-North Carolina title where it eventually it then turns into a Roy Williams party? Yeah, that could be funny. That'd be very funny. Um, I and and what 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 kind of shirt is is Roy wearing Monday night? Because it was easy for him. I think he just wouldn't wear a logo. In, in, two, I think he, in 2008, yeah. it was nothing. Now the story he tells was somebody kind of said, "Hey, Roy, how you doing?" And gave him a little pat on the chest and put the sticker, the Jayhawk sticker, on him. Is the story he gave, but it was easier for him to do that. I mean, easy is not the right word because he did get a lot of flack from Carolina fans about that. Um, but KU wasn't playing Carolina that mm-hmm. night. Um, Kansas had done what they did to North Carolina that Saturday night, and they're playing Memphis, who Roy had no rooting interest in. So, um, yeah, that would be if, look if if he gets booted in the Final Four by his hated rival, and the only time those two programs have ever played in the postseason, that would be funny. It absolutely would. Now, as far as the game goes, uh, we saw Duke blow out North Carolina on the road. Um, that one was 87-67. Never really was a game. Then we saw North Carolina win in Duke, 94-81. It was a game that North Carolina was up big at half. Duke comes back, um, and then North Carolina pulls away in the second half. Uh, the spread for this one is four points, which I I've been very vocal this week that I have a hard time seeing Duke losing this game. The storybook just seems too real that Coach K is going to easily win over North Carolina. I would easily take that number. Um, I guess if you do look at a world, though, where Duke does fall in the Final Four, the offense has been unreal. Duke is now up to the number one offense in Ken Palm. Texas Tech, they didn't miss a shot in the last eight, nine minutes or whatever it was. The Arkansas game, the offense is great. Um, If they end up having a game where they're just, like, good, okay-ish on offense yeah. to their standards as opposed to what they have been the last few games and in the NCAA tournament, 
there is a real chance that they could have a letdown because that, they're just that 45th. Defense could bite yeah, them. They are, by Ken Palm, they're the best offense in the Final Four. They're also the worst defense. It's also worth noting, knock on wood, the, the, if you and look, there's way more to this game than computers. Um, and I think we need to go back and revisit analytics now that Gonzaga's gotten rolled by a more athletic team two years in a row now. And they're, you know, regardless, but that's a different conversation for a different day. But my point is, if you just want to go by computers, KU is the the favorite for this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And they're probably, if K, no matter who they play Monday night, KU's probably favored if they make it. Uh, but again, they could, you know, that doesn't mean anything. Um, but my back, the, the whole, the thing about the line, it's not so much that the, 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 the four gets me as much as the fact that it's the same as KU Nova. Like if you want to tell me, if you would have told me the the line for Duke and North Carolina is four, I would have said okay. That means KU is probably favored by one and a half to two points. That's what conf- that's what really gets me. the The number itself seems close, but it's it's even more so when you say that's the exact same number that Kansas is laying against. Two seed Nova. Yeah. Granted, a shorthanded two seed Nova, but still a second seed Nova. No, but yeah, which I, I mean, think all of this, to me, one, it's the Final Four. I think if these two teams were, if, I think if like, I know they don't do this because they're in the same um, conference, but just for the, for the purpose of conversation, had they made Carolina Duke's eight or uh, eight or nine, which again they never would do because they're mm-hmm. both in the ACC, but if they did. Duke would be favored by more than four in the Correct. second round. Yeah. So it's partly because it's the final four, but also I think it it says a lot to how good uh, North Carolina has played over the last, not just in the tournament, but over the last eight weeks or so. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at Ken Palm, it does have it at, at closer to a five or six point game. Um, so I think part of the four, now Ken Palm predicts it as a four, but I'm just talking by adjusted EM. It should be closer to six. I, I think part of it, yeah, is is how well they've played, and then you have the rivalry aspect. Because keep in mind, they have beaten good teams on the way. I mean, you beat Baylor, you beat UCLA, and this I think really does stem back to that Duke win. It was kind of the the moment in time when they've changed it. The way I view North Carolina, even though they're an eight seed, I, I view it this way: if if they did, because they're they're kind of similar to what UCLA did last year. Now they weren't as close to being on the bubble as UCLA was. Yeah. Like they're an eight, UCLA was an eleven. But they basically got you know hot in March with talented players. If all these guys were to come back next year for North Carolina, which I know can't happen, um, but if that were to be the case, It'd be the overwhelming number one. Exactly, they're they're going to be a one. They would be a one seed next year, yeah. right? And so that's how I view it. They're playing like they would be next year, which would be a one seed, right? Um, and and another thing, this isn't necessarily this doesn't necessarily mean anything, but just in terms of you want to talk, both have high high ceilings, but both have clear vulnerabilities. Both of them went into the NCAA tournament off of stinkers in the in the mm-hmm. ACC tournament. I think both lost to North or to uh, Virginia Tech. I know Duke did. I think North Carolina did um, as well. Uh, Tech just got hot. But regardless, I, I just it's it's one of those things where both have shown North Carolina more than Duke because North Carolina is an eight seed. But both of both of these teams have shown where their vulnerabilities come in. But they're but they've both also shown. At the top of their game, they're fantastic. Yeah, they I mean, really North, are. This isn't like what North Carolina did, or what Michigan did in 2018. North Carolina beat. No, this is you this know, is more like, and, and I don't mean to just copy this just because it's oh, it's another eight seed who is a blue blood, but it it very much is more like the eight seed Kentucky. Not only did North Carolina beat Baylor, North Carolina was destroying Baylor before Brady Manick um, got ejected. Did, yeah, got ejected, and and it t- it it takes a lot of. Uh, 
I'll just say guts for North Carolina to come back in overtime and put Baylor away after giving up that huge lead. But from a talent standpoint and a ceiling standpoint, let's not forget North Carolina was obliterating Baylor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you beat a UCLA team that was in the final four that was top 10 in Ken Palm in the Sweet 16. It was at that point, by the time they the regional. obliterated Marquette, too. Yeah. And by the time the regional semifinals came around, UCLA was the favorite in that, in that region mm-hmm. as the four. All right, uh, we will talk uh, maybe a little more Final Four coming up later. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Coming up next, we're going to have a new segment. Stock market has officially closed for the weekend. Hmm. With Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening in on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Half past four, new segment alert, baby. You're on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We had our uh, new segment a couple weeks ago, the lie detector test. I promise that's coming back. It just happened to come right before, like, a Big 12 tournament, NCAA tournament. But we're going to do that uh, coming back in a little bit. And our new segment, well, at 3 o'clock, I think, Central Time, 4 o'clock Eastern Time, is when the stock market closes on the uh, well, on Wall Street or Before whatever. we officially close the stock market, I mm-hmm. want to say um, – did you know Mark Mangino once got to close, uh, ring the closing bell? I don't him. know if it was opening or closing. The two, uh, he and uh, whoever would have been coaching, um, I guess Jerry Kill was coaching Minnesota when okay. Kansas played them in the Insight Bowl. But part of, if, even though it's in New York and the Insight Bowls played down in Arizona, but the two, co- the two coaching participants in the Insight Bowl, one of the big dilios they got to do was representing Insight. Uh, oh ringing the closing or opening bell at the New York Stock Exchange one day. I vaguely have that memory. What a weird add-on to a bowl game. I love it, though. So anyway, we're going to do a new segment on Friday's Stock Market Closing Bell. Adam, hit the bell. Stock market is officially closed. We're going to tell you what stock is up, what stock is down. First up, if you bought stock on region of or, or group of death, we hear this a lot in the uh, NCAA tournament, region of death. We hear it in soccer with the World Cup, group of death. If you bought stock on that prior to the NCAA tournament for the region of death, hold still because it's coming back with soccer with the World Cup. They announced their draws today. We have the group of death. I don't really know which one it is, um, I saw but somebody, it certainly, it'll be one of them. Whatever one Brazil is in, I saw somebody declare that one the, the toughest one. Um, I can't remember who else is in it with Brazil, but, you know, Brazil's good at soccer. U.S. is not in the uh, no, region of death. U.S., they got after after having to deal with Germany and Portugal in 2014, and obviously not even making it in 2018, um, uh, you've got uh, this year they've got England, um, it's the United States, England, Iran, and... Um, the, the winner, winner of, a play-in. of a play-in between Wales, Scotland, and uh, Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. It might be uh, Group E. Spain, uh, Germany, Japan. What's, what's Group B? Group B is is uh, the U.S. Oh, what's... Look for Group... What's Group C? Look for Brazil. Yeah, I so saw, Brazil is in I, I saw uh, Group so, G. So I, I saw somebody that tweet. that was interesting. Well, I saw somebody tweet that theirs is the... They thought that was the toughest group. See, I love this. Who's, Hold it, who's firm all on the in stock? It? You're going to get a good buy on it. I think it's Group E or Group G. So Group G is the one with Brazil. Brazil, Serbia, who's always solid. Switzerland is always solid. Cameroon is always solid. It's like four solid teams, all of which could make it. 
to the uh, round of 16, and it's going to be tough because two teams are going to have to be left out. If you're just looking at, like, the top two teams in the same region, it's Group E. You have Spain and Germany, and then you have Japan, who won the uh, whatever their region is called, and then you're going to have a play-in winner. It could be Costa Rica, who usually is feisty. The United States in 2014 was legitimately in the group of death because you had... I believe every single team in that in that group had gone to the round of 16 in the 2010 World Cup um, in Ghana, United States, and Germany and Portugal. So that was a hell of a group, and, and the United States got out of that one, um, one behind Germany, um, ultimately beating Ghana, and I think they got a draw against Portugal. They should have beaten Portugal. That was infuriating because the last in stoppage time they got an, an equalizer Ugh. well hold firm on your stock if you got into it early you don't want to buy high on it right now but if you got on it early hold firm sell later uh buy stock on blue blood that's all the talk this week bunch of blue bloods in new orleans who is a blue blood is villanova a blue blood how close are they should they be what's the deal with indiana what's the deal with ucla What's Who's the, the best deal blue with blood? the blue blood? Yeah, it really is. Like a when Jerry I get cut, my blood's red. It's blue if Wait, I don't have be there oxygen. I don't know. Remember he was, he was there at, at the... He was at Cameron, yeah. Is he like a big Duke fan? I don't, I don't get that. I don't know. They got their ass kicked. <laughs> I was sitting next to Adam Silver. What's the deal with Adam Silver? He looks like the bad guy from Hellraiser. Dude, there's going to be so many celebrities there. I'm telling you, right? Zion's got to be there, right? It's in New Orleans. Yeah, yes, if, if he's not busy at the beignet shop. I hope just like every time they show him on camera, he's just like eating beignets or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, every time, they, like it's like an SNL sketch. Every time they go back to him, he's getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, did you put on another layer? Is it cold in there? What's going on? Um, <laughs> oh, we haven't really man. had these blue blood conversations this week because to be completely honest, I don't really care. I think when you cheer for a blue blood, you don't really yeah. care who else is a blue blood. Nobody's arguing that KU's not. I would argue Villanova is. I would actually argue Nova is and UCLA is not because UCLA's uh, greatest years came. They were look, they were great. They they dominated when they did, and it is hard to be a dominant team. But it was also a less competitive era back then. Yeah, you didn't have the NCAA tournament, everything. But you yeah. Did. Well, I'm sorry. You didn't have the full NCAA yeah, tournament have is what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah. It was just eight teams, and it's just, you know, and, right there. He, yeah, 16 a couple of years that he won it, but, mm-hmm. yeah. They've got that one in 95. Um, Outside of that, though, you have the, to go all the way back to the wooden years. Yeah. Which, you know, they got close last year. Again, I don't really care who you consider in or out, but... You know, that's the talk this week. So buy uh, stock on Blue Blood because that is very much what a, a lot of the topic. national media is talking about. Yep. And if Villanova, Villanova beats Kansas, that conversation is only going to continue on because it's like, well, now are they a Blue Blood if you didn't think so already? Either way, don't really <sighs> it's care. It's as lazy as the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, it is. Uh, buy stock on Dan Campbell. No, because, I'm not doing that. Ah, I, I think that you need to buy stock now, and then you sell it before the season starts. Oh, Here's why. Because he's going to go insane during hard knocks, and everyone's going to love him. Dude, I love Dan Campbell. I, I don't know if he, he got could... so mad he took a dump in a player's helmet on hard knocks. I, I love him. I, yeah, it's I, old school. The NFL needs more I of that. Think it's the old school thing. I think he's just, like, inspiring. I don't even I think he's a lunatic. See, I, I don't even know if he's a good coach. He might not be, although he did. I, I think objectively he did more with that Lions team than a lot of people thought. That's um, fair. That doesn't make him a good coach you know automatically. He could turn out to be another guy who actually had some fine qualities as a coach, but was 
a little too crazy and probably liked getting attention in press conferences a little much was Todd mm. Haley. Yeah. I mean, Todd Haley, but see, I, I Todd, Todd Haley, Haley was had, like mean. Dan Campbell, yeah, 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 yeah. Todd Haley, I think like, Todd Haley couldn't get out of his own way because he kind of had short man syndrome mm-hmm. a little bit and had an inferiority complex anyway because he felt he had to prove himself because he didn't play even college football. Um, but he had some really good quality. And look, maybe yes, I could be Dan Campbell, maybe hoisting a, a George Hallis trophy and going to the Super Bowl in a few years. <laughs> And I will be totally eating my words. It's entirely possible um, that behind his insanity is is actually because you're right. He, they achieved how? I mean, people were just assuming one in one in sixteen for the for the Lions yeah. last year. Well, let me get to the story why I am buying um, on him right now. They're going to be on Hard Knocks. That's going to be the Lions. And there is always when we watch Hard Knocks, there's always a coach, a player who everybody falls in love with. Dan Campbell is going to be lovable on TV because he's going to be somebody that is going to get you either laughing or he's going to get Rick you. Ryan. Yeah, he's going to get you in a situation where you feel pumped up for him. Again, I don't know that he's a great coach, but he's going to be fun to watch. That's, he's going to be entertaining. One of my favorite Rex Ryan moments was on Hard Knocks, where he's he's on the he's on the um, in the film room, and he's like, "That's what I mean when I talk about bleeping New York Jets football because we're the New York bleeping Jets." Now, does everybody understand what I want when I say New York Jets football? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, all right, now let's go eat a gosh dang snack. Except he did not say Mm. gosh dang. You know what he said. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, biting kneecaps, buy stock on that, buying stock on Dan Campbell as well. I'm selling stock on old NFL overtime rules. I know you're not going to get a lot for it right now. But you're better off to sell even when it's down before it gets all the way down to bankrupt. I was going to say it's Lehman Brothers right now. It's It's getting close, but it's not quite there because still the new rules are not in place for the regular season. It's just the postseason. Uh, Okay. So sell now because all it's going to take is one or two good postseason games, probably just one, good postseason games where both teams get the ball and it's an exciting game and everybody goes, let's do this for the regular season, and then they're going to bring in the regular season. So sell on it now before it comes to the regular season as well. When they in, when they implemented the uh, current overtime rules, you remember the first playoff game with those? No, I don't. It was Tebow to Demarius Thomas. Was it really? Yeah, <laughs> that was a pretty good one. That was a pretty good one. Um, okay, uh, I'm buying stock on MLB rookies. There are a lot of good rookies this year that are either going to start the season in the majors or are going to be darn close to it and are probably going to come up at some point early on in the season. Like um, uh, O'Neal Cruz is like this 6'7 power hitting shortstop for Pittsburgh. They already optioned him down, but the idea is that he's probably going to come up in, in just a few weeks, which uh, part of the new CBA, if you think you're going to have a good rookie, there's no need to do that anymore because if they finish in the top, I think it's three of uh, rookie voting, then it counts for the year of service time they, yeah, regardless. They, they get, and then if... Um, so it's dumb but, to just miss the two weeks if he's going to be that if, good. There, there's other parameters that you get draft pick compensation to. Yes. Like, it benefits both the player and the team. So it's very silly to me that they, they wouldn't do that with O'Neill Cruz. Nonetheless, we, we don't know what the case is going to be for guys like Riley Green, who I think got hurt today, so you hope he's okay. Yeah. But he's like a top 10 prospect for the Tigers. Bobby Witt Jr., I think, I think Bobby we don't know Witt, for sure, but seems like it's leaning that way. I think, I think Bobby Witt... I and I, I I always hesitate because the Royals the one you know as great as that the you know back to back pennants a world championship it was amazing the one thing this group hasn't had was a te- was a player that mm-hmm. just came out just you know horse in the ball um, 
and you know Bobby Witt finished you know could he finish top three in the rookie year of the year vote? I, I think Bobby Witt is the kind of player who will he'll we're talking it'll be like I almost think it'd be disappointing if he doesn't. He'll be a two hundred and fifty million dollar player. Yes. I believe that about him. He's going to be fantastic. A guy there I would add um, it might actually from a financial standpoint might buy stock in over even Bobby Witt would be um, Adley Rushman. Yeah, because of. Um, the, he's he, another he's guy that'll a, probably come up some point this season. And he's also a catcher. And he, you could even if he and Bobby Witt ter, both turn out to be equally great, you give in terms of money, you give the nod to, to Adley Rushman because it, it's a it's a a position where you don't find as many outstanding hitters. Now the, the Royals happen to have one, but um, you know you, you've got a guy in, in Rushman who can. Not just be a great catcher, but but really be an incredible at the plate too. But yeah, we're going to see a bunch of good young guys. I don't know Julio Rodriguez might make it up for the Mariners. Maybe Spencer Torgelson. This rookie of the year race on both sides, partially because of the rules, partially also because it just happens to be a lot of these really good prospects could be coming up at the same time are going to make it really interesting this year. So I'm buying stock on all those guys. This isn't going to be like one of those years where like Chris Coglin or somebody random wins the rookie of the year. Uh, I'm holding firm. On Jeremy Tangstock. He is the uh, new head coach for Kansas State, assistant from Baylor. You know, if, if you would have asked me after he had the press conference, everybody's buying stock on Jeremy Tang. But then he loses Nigel Pack, so then you would want to sell stock. I'm saying hold steady, do not buy, do not sell. I would disagree with that. Mm. I would at this moment buy because mm. everybody's selling. Okay. So you're getting it pretty cheap. I think Jeremy Tang is going to be a really good coach, and I want to by really good. I want to lay out the parameters of what I think would make a successful coach at, 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 for K State basketball. And I, I do this with KU football. The way I lay, lay out parameters for what I consider successful is I go a, a ten-year uh, window, and in it for KU or K State basketball, a ten-year window. I think you need seven or eight years are in the tournament, and I think you need about three years. Where you're making deep a deep run in the tournament, and a year by or two, deep second weekend, yeah, 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 okay. um, and then a year or two where you are competing for winning the Big Twelve championship regular season. That's what I think is a fair a fair uh, expectation to have, but also would be considered mm-hmm. not not crazy over the top, but not super low. I think that's a fair expectation to have um, if if you're K State basketball, and I think Jeremy Tang will will hit that. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Okay, last one I got. I am selling stock on the human race. Uh, the time of the robot wow. is about to be upon us. I have always been a big proponent. Scared of the flubber? Yes. I, I, I hate whenever we see these videos of, you know, robotic whatever, like, here's this robotic AI person who can understand human emotion, or yeah. here's these robot dogs that we literally saw in an episode of Black Mirror that kill everyone. Yeah. Here is... This is what you're referring to that they brought up this story. It's this, yeah, it's basically flubber. It's this it's uh, ma- magnetic. Uh, I think they call it magnetic robotic slime. Yeah, it's a magnetic slime robot. And, and go, basically, it's, it's point is put it, it down your esophagus. If you swallow, if you swallow something you're not supposed to swallow, um, it just dives right down in you, grabs whatever, and comes out and crawls right back up. Let me tell you, as a person who uh, had uh, enormous trouble with his esophagus one time, I don't really hate that the, the idea of this thing. I just, I just, it's it's the idea of having a robot that can like move and morph to different things. Like yeah. this feels like the end of the world, and and we've seen so many movies: Terminator, Terminator Two, 
Terminator 3 and other movies that robots end the world. I'm selling on the human race. I'm buying in on the robot race. And maybe that'll uh, give them a little bit more They'll leeway be kinder. To me. They'll, They'll be, be kinder, kinder to, to you. Yeah. yeah, good call. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I I just can't stand all the robot stuff. All right. That is our uh, stock market closing bell. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Coming up next, we heard some more from KU players. Can you imagine robots' versions of the creatures they have down in Australia? Oh, gosh. Lord Almighty. Yeah, do you think they have to match it to the certain areas? Ooh. I don't know. Anyway, he's Adam Dravet. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Adam Dravetta. I am Derek Johnson. We're at a little bit early today. 530 is when uh, coverage starts up from Westwood, one of the women's final four. So you can hear that here on our stations tonight as well as Sunday. Of course, we've got you covered tomorrow. KU taking on Villanova with the Jayhawk Radio Network pregame starting at 3.30, tip-off at 5.09. And me and Adam are going to be out live at the Granada doing a pre-pregame show from 2.30 to 3.30. Come on out to the Granada. Um, T-Mobile is actually... So we're going to be there with the 105.9 KISS crew as well, our sister station. You can also hear the uh, KU game tomorrow there. Uh, they're going to get there at 1 o'clock. We're doing our show 2.30 to 3.30. Um, if you get out there in time, T-Mobile is buying the first 100 people beverages at the Granada. So you're going to want to get there early. We also are going to have like T-shirts, some concert tickets to give away. So get out there early, hang out, have a good time, get ready for the game. Of course, there's all those watch parties at the Granada, uh, Abe and Jake's, Lucia, Rick's Place, uh, plenty of others as well. And uh, no excuse to drink and drive because you can't park on Mass Street anyway. So take an Uber there and either walk home or take an Uber home. And yep. hopefully we're partying on Mass Street after the game anyway. So yeah, Hopefully all the Ubers are coming late at night because it's a uh, wild, raucous party. But yeah, come, say hi. Get some free stuff, and uh, we look forward to seeing you there tomorrow. Again, at the Granada, me and Adam will be there 2.30, 3.30, but KISS crew going to get there at 1 o'clock. All right, uh, Bill Self had another media availability today. They did media day yesterday. They do another one today for maybe new uh, people who weren't in town yesterday. You can get some more questions asked. Here is Bill Self speaking with the media earlier today. Hey, Bill, how you doing? Harold Kitts, Fox 4. I want to ask you a question about uh, Christian Brown and Dewan Harris's relationship. It goes back a little while. You know, what have you kind of learned from those two that they've been become good friends over the years? I'm sure you've seen the picture circulating around, circulating around too. Like, what do you learn from those two that made them know that they were great friends? I, I think that they have been boys since sixth grade, if I'm not mistaken. And, of course, Dewan's from Columbia and, and Christian there. Well, he was in Burlington, but, but now in the – Overland Park area, uh, and, and they played on the same AAU team, and so I know that they spent a ton of time together in the summertime when, when, when the, the kids from out of, out, of, out of the area would come and, and stay in uh, Kansas City area to practice. So uh, they're great friends. They're like brothers. They bring the best out in each other. They, uh, they uh, rag on each other. They, they uh, 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 I would say, are, are critics of each other but you can tell that they truly love each other. I mean, it, it is a unique relationship, and I really feel like the Brown family, 
uh, uh, has done a lot for a lot of kids outside their family, but but has probably done as much for Dewan as anybody and, and played a crucial role in in, in uh, helping him with his life. Hey, Bill, Adam Zagoria, New York Times. I just had kind of a fun question for you about suits versus casual wear. Jay was just in here, <clears throat> said he didn't pack a single suit for this trip and plans to wear three-quarter zips and sweats. Um, do you think coaches are ever going to go back to wearing suits uh, or are they just going to keep wearing casual wear and is it, <clears throat> is it good for the game? Are you fine with it? Well, coaching against Jay, I'm very happy there's no wardrobe suits because nobody could compete with him in that, in that regard. Uh, uh, but uh, I kind of like the way we're doing it. Uh, I do. I, I hope it stays casual moving forward. Uh, I know our, I think leagues will probably have a lot to do with what the coaches do because uh, in our league we voted to unanimously do this and so we're kind of bound by that. I guess it could be year to year, but I, I, I like the direction it's moving and, and uh, it's certainly a little bit more comfortable and you save money on dry cleaning. So. Hi, uh, Samir Mala from the basketball, U.S. Basketball Writers Association. Uh, Bill, do you have any uh, superstitions uh, pregame or uh, during the game uh, superstitions? Uh, I'm not superstitious at all. I just think there's certain routines that work a lot better than others. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I seriously, on game days, I wear similar clothes. I, uh, uh, I eat the same food every meal. Uh, uh, my routine is almost exactly the same. And, and if I find something that works, I'll definitely stick with it. But, but uh, I would consider myself semi-superstitious, but probably not like a, a baseball manager that would never walk on the chalk line or anything like that. Hey, Coach Self. Nathan Sanji, LSU Student News Service. Um, I'm wondering, what is something that you and your staff have done to really block out the noise this weekend, just focus on Villanova? Uh, I, I don't know that we've really done a lot, except limit their probably access to anything other than us, so to speak. Uh, you know, we, we got here Wednesday night, and we were all together the entire night Wednesday night. Last night, we were all together. Uh, players uh, apart from coaches, but but we've done everything together. And, and uh, the only free time with, with the schedule that we've been on have been kind of late afternoons, and guys usually like to nap around that time. So uh, uh, it hasn't been that difficult. Uh, I guess if you you know watch ESPN or sports uh, uh, all the time, or if you lived on your phone all the time, you can certainly be distracted by that. But you know, I, I want our guys to enjoy it. I don't plan on taking their phones from them. Uh, I've done that in 2008. We took their phones from them uh, because I, I I didn't want to take any chances. But I I really want the guys to enjoy it, and and uh, uh, I think that we're acting mature enough that we can. So I, I, I actually trust them. Yeah, Dan Walken, USA Today. Uh, Bill, there was a lot of discussion here yesterday with uh, Dr. Emmert about the length of time it's taking for enforcement cases to be finished. This will be three full seasons for you played since your notice of allegations. What do you make of that timeline that you guys have operated under and where it's going from here? Well, uh, you know, I can't comment. Uh, on anything that's ongoing with the case about anything, but but I don't I, I do hope that the the end is soon. Uh, uh, I believe we're we're getting closer, and uh, I know that 
no one uh, uh, probably from any party is, has, uh, uh, has wanted this to uh, go as long as it has, but, but uh, I do believe the, the end is soon. Uh, Coach Self, are you using your 2012 runners-up experience here to inspire your team to finish the job this year in New Orleans? Uh, you know, we've, we've talked about it that we were here, uh, but, you know, I'm not a big believer on the past having a ton to do with what happens next. Uh, you know, in 18, we got, we got our – we got it handed to us pretty good, obviously, uh, by the same team. We're same program, not the same team. And, and uh, you know, that's been mentioned, but we haven't dwelled on that. So all we're trying to do is, is live in the present and, and uh, you know, learn from the past, but certainly live in the present. Coach, we're going to try to be tech forward and go to Zoom, where we have David Melandra Jr., Philly Sports Blitz. Go ahead, David. Hey, Coach, quick question for you. Um, were there any teams in the Big 12 this, this season resemble any of the style that don't have a place? No, not really. Uh, you know, there, you know our, our team was very defensive-oriented, and we had some of the best defensive teams in the country in our league. Uh, uh, but even from that standpoint, there was, there was some, you know, there was common thread about, you know, uh, uh, you know, not breaking down, be sound, those sorts of things. But, but how the, the ball was forced and, and, and uh, the switching and things like that was, is, was certainly a, a little bit different. So I, I, I don't believe that we've gone against anybody uh, during our regular season that would actually prepare us for the style that Villanova plays. I mean, we, we've, got, we've got guys in our league that, that may post guards, but we don't have guys in our league that have guards get the ball at 20 feet and, and dribble into a post-up. Uh, uh, it's totally different and, and uh, certainly not easy to prepare for. Is there anything you can remember from the last time you played Villanova in the Final Four? Uh, I've... I get ticks whenever I think about it. So uh, uh, there's, I, I remember, I remember, uh, we got a, we started the game off on a two to zero run. That was about the highlight of that particular game. Uh, uh, I actually watched it this week, and 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 they were fabulous. They they were, that that to me, you know, we had a chance to play Kentucky in twelve, in the finals, and to me, that was the best team of that, you know, five or six year period. Uh, that we had, that I had seen in college basketball, and I really felt like the team that Villanova had in '18 was the best college basketball team in in, in the last decade. I, I really believe that. Hey, Coach Len Jennings with KNBC. Just playing in the bubble last year, and then having this experience, going out and practicing in front of the fans. What does it mean for you to have March Madness backs for you uh, for you and your players? I, I think you know, uh, you know. Two years ago, the tournament was taken from all of us, as many things across the world were. Uh, uh, that was that was probably a year where our team was probably equipped to to, to do quite well. Uh, we had we had a nice squad and was probably going to be the we would have been a one seed and probably the number one overall seed, which doesn't guarantee success, but certainly we've been in the game and you know that that obviously was taken from everybody. And then last year, it wasn't the same. I mean. Uh, uh, the way that the year end, ended for us, when we were playing our best ball of the year, and we had two starters get COVID uh, going into the tournament, and that kind of, you know, annihilated us. But but uh, so this is the first time 
since 2019 that we've actually had a tournament that we've actually feel like we participated in and had a chance. And even though that year we didn't perform well, uh, so I'm excited. I, I, I think our players are are excited. Several of them were on the 20 team that may, may have had a real chance, and so uh, uh, we're, we're jacked to, to be here, and and we're soaking it all in. Mick Schaefer, KCHB 41. Um, Coach, every press conference we ask about Remy, and he's had a great tournament. But Dewan's still the starting point guard. How has he handled all of this and all the all the Remy talk in the last minutes? Well, he he doesn't care. I mean, Juan is uh, having the, the the time of his life, and if anybody had ever really studied Juan's uh, uh, road to get to Kansas, would understand why he would be happy with whatever is thrown his way. He's he's a remarkable young man, and and for anybody to go through that much hardship and and family tragedy is 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 what he has uh, 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 is 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 truly incredible that a guy of his age could handle it as well as he has and so uh Juan could care less and I'll be candid with you Remy may care but he didn't care much either so it, it, it's it's they've got a pretty good partnership going yeah Zach Boyer from the Lawrence Journal World Bill at what point in this weekend does it start to hit you that you're going to play these last games with guys like Oach and David. When does, the, when does that emotion start to set in? Uh, it, it, uh, it hasn't set in probably yet. I told them this morning when we finished practice, I said, uh, I know you guys can't wait to get rid of me, but why don't we do this one more time? You know, that, that, that would be my goal is to have one more practice. So, uh, uh, you know, when, when, when things don't end great, and, it, and that happens for probably – you know, 50% of America. Sometimes uh, uh, the end outweighs the journey. Uh, in this particular situation, the, 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 the end will equal or surpass the journey. And so I, I think there's a un, un, unique uh, closeness that we all feel towards each other. Uh, uh, that is, and, and for a lot of different reasons of things that's transpired this year, but uh, I'm going to miss those guys, but I hadn't even thought about playing without them yet. Uh, that's something that that, I, that uh, we'll postpone till whenever the end is here, and, and hopefully it won't be for 72 or so more hours. Uh, Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World. Coach, you just mentioned you watched 2018 this week. Um, you've largely tried to avoid that. Why would you watch it this week? Well, I, I didn't really watch it to uh, uh, to try to – you know, have memories. I watched it to see, you know, when they backed their guards down, did they have the same action off the ball and stuff like that. So, uh, uh, and when I said I watched it, I got through about 12 minutes of it. And, and uh, uh, after that, it was a, it, it was very obvious that I wasn't going to learn very much from it. Yeah, there's other tapes to watch. So, uh, uh, but that that was probably good for me to see just from uh, the standpoint of of how dangerous they can be when they've got it cooking uh, uh which they're capable of because they got you know they got guys that can stretch it from all spots cj moore the athletic bill you've had this group for a couple of years now and it seems like when you try to teach them a lesson like it they've had experience with it right that mm-hmm. those words mean something what do you think it does to have a team that's been together this long, that core. Um, how does that help when you get to this this stage? Well, I, you know, I said this all along. I mean, experience is important. Uh, uh, I don't I don't believe that ex- experience trumps talent. Uh, 
uh, but you know, having both, I think, is uh, the 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 remedy for success more than anything else. And I, th I think we have that. And you know, we, when we won at No. Eight, that was also a team that lost in the first round, and and that was also a team that couldn't get through the Elite Eight, and and then things fell right. And so these guys have been through their their heartache and, and and been through some tough times, which I think has prepared them for these times. So. Uh, I, I do think experience does, does matter. AP Stedham, WHEP, AM and FM, Foley, Alabama. What do you try to do with shooting the ball in this big venue? You know, how do you calibrate yourself to this spacious uh, arena and stadium? What do you tell the players and what have you learned about shooting in this type of venue? Well, I haven't, I haven't mentioned it to the players. I mean, uh, uh, I think that we can make a bigger deal out of things and what actually exists and bottom lines is the rim seems soft to me and depth perception seems good and there's absolutely no reasons why we shouldn't shoot the ball well here and 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 that's that's how I'm looking at this all right that was Bill Self speaking with the media earlier today and, and actually you heard the, the very last question that was asked there was in regards to the shooting backdrop and you know we had Greg Gurley on earlier this week and he said you know I, I don't make much of it because Whenever somebody asks me about how is that going to affect the game, I point them back to 2018 and I say, well, it didn't affect <laughs> yeah. Villanova very much, how, did it? What if, does that mean that Villanova would have shot about, I don't know, right? 33 of 40 if they were playing in a normal arena that night? Yeah, seriously. If they were playing in like a high school gym with yeah. an even better backdrop, they, never they wouldn't missed. have missed. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I think, and, and look, I don't know, uh, we talked about this a little bit in prep, whether it be self-talking about uh you know him being up front about how each each program of these three have won uh, two national titles since Kansas last won theirs in 08, uh, and and he kind of felt sounded pretty confident in his team's ability to shoot tomorrow night. Uh, it, you know, if you want to be um, you know on the pessimistic pessimistic side of things, you could say, well, he's trying to just pump his team up, uh, and if you want to be optimistic, you could say, well, damn, he sounds really really confident in his group. Um, ultimately, we'll, no matter how he feels, no matter how we feel, whether it's optimism or pessimism, we're going to find out tomorrow night. Um, but I, I really think I mean, Kansas making threes is going to be huge, but I think a big, big part of tomorrow's game is going to be what kind of performance are we going to get Dave, a Dave McCormick who can hold on to the ball against smaller defenders um, and, and gets, you know, that kind of, that kind of productivity, or is he going to be the kind of Dave that that kind of goes low and and a, a smaller guard is able to swipe it out of his hands? Yeah. So is that your answer to you know the question of who do you find to be the most important KU player tomorrow? Doesn't mean that it has to be the best player. Just who's yeah. the most important? Um, that might be up there, just in the sense that he just I I, I have a hard time envisioning. Because if, if he's not a threat, then they're going to be able to guard Ochai and, and Remy so, so tightly. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say he's he's up there as one of the most important. I think it's probably easy, and I wouldn't disagree if somebody said Remy just because how amazing he's been all tournament long. So him as well. Um, but if Dave, uh, is, if Dave is continuously a big, big threat down low, and they have to come help on him, and he's going to be able to just kick it right back out to somebody for an open three, that's going to be big. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that, you know, if you were to guarantee me one of Mitch or Dave plays well, because 
that that can be the thing. If if Dave struggles but Mitch comes in and plays great, then I think that can probably get it done as well. But you have to have at least one of those guys, preferably yeah. both, would be playing well. Um, if if I couldn't pick Dave, because I I think I do agree with you, I I don't know who it has to come from. Somebody's gonna have to hit threes at a high rate, right? Like either because uh, Jalen's been struggling. He's two of fourteen from three in the NCAA tournament. You yep. get a couple threes from Jalen, or Ochai has a good shooting game, or Christian hits three threes. Who knows? Maybe it's Remy Martin. I don't know. Dewan Harris has. Uh, I think he went. Was it Texas Southern? He can't. Or create He can't a couple. I think it was in the two against weekend. Texas Southern. He in his career, Dewan Harris is seven of ten from three in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> so you know. Keep it going, man. I don't know who it has to be. It has to be someone. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm worried about a couple of the matchups with Villanova, but, you know, there's some matchups Villanova has to worry about with KU as well. We'll be live tomorrow from the Granada to further preview the game, 2.30 to 3.30, and then we'll be back Monday here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk to recap whatever happens. Hopefully, it's a very special Monday show. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out the Best of RCST podcast, and we'll see you next time on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.